This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Now, Making a Murderer, it was a smash hit when it was released on Netflix back in 2015. It was a series that really did bring true crime to the masses, kickstarting many people's fascination in the genre that still lasts today. Now, the show tells the story of Stephen Avery, a man from Manitowoc County, Wisconsin, who served 18 years in prison. That was from 1985 through to 2003. That was after his wrongful conviction for the sexual assault and attempted murder of Penny Now, he was eventually exonerated. DNA evidence proved that he did not commit that crime. Now, upon his release, Stephen actually sued Monotoc County for damages, totalling some $37 million. He'd never, however, win a dollar. Why? Well, he was later charged with and convicted back in 2007 of the murder of Teresa Holbach. That murder took place two years prior, a crime that Stephen, to this day, continues to maintain his innocence. Now, making a murderer, it also depicts the arrest, the prosecution and conviction of Avery's nephew, Brendan Dassey, as an accessory in that murder of Hallback, focusing on the accusation of coercion and attorney ineptitude. The second season, the follow-up series, came out in 2018, and that starred Stephen's new lawyer, a lady by the name of Kathleen Zellner, and she's the focus of this edition of The Big Interview. The Big Interview with Offscript. Let's get to all of this. We're going to stick with the facts. We'll allow Kathleen Zellner to uh, unfurl her belief in all of this, but I had to start by asking just how Stephen Avery was. 60 years of age now, he's been in prison for this murder for nigh on 16 years. How is he today? Stephen Avery is amazingly resilient um, and he is very hopeful that he will be released and that he will be able to show that he was wrongfully convicted of the murder of, of Teresa Halbach. Um, I talked to him. It's varied over you know this time frame, but I try to talk to him weekly. There have been occasions when I was talking to him every day or two or three times a week. I try to stay in close contact with him. Um, and of course, I've made many visits to him um, over this time period. Okay, so there's Kathleen telling us she's in touch with him. Of course she is. She is his legal counsel and that he's doing all right. We're going to delve straight back into this because it's fair to say that Kathleen was pretty quick to set out her case or her belief system and actually what happened in the tragic death of Teresa Holbach. She wasted little time in setting out who she believes is the actual perpetrator for this heinous crime. We're going to get to that in a matter of seconds. That coming up, but first I wanted to know when Kathleen herself had taken an interest in Stephen's case. Well, Stephen had written to me um, probably in 2003 13 and I actually took the case in 2016 um, and I was very affected by making a murder when I watched it um, I realized first I recognized the fact that he had contacted my office um, and secondly you know I became aware um, through watching it that there appeared to be of course I had to you know do my own investigation and hire experts, but there appeared to be some serious uh, wrongdoing in the case on the part of both the prosecutors and uh, the police. 
It's interesting. Dean was very candid with us. Dean admitted that the mistakes were made, the, the fullness of time, the you know hindsight. Of course, twenty twenty vision is a wonderful thing, and, and he admitted that you know there were certain pieces of evidence that they wished they had fought harder for to, to get presented in front of the jury. It's interesting that you say, upon watching making a murderer, that you quickly ascertained that there was something not quite right. With the evidence that you now have seen and presented to you, Kathleen, what are the biggest erroneous issues that you saw in that trial back in 2007? Well, now that we've, you know, that I've had um, this amount of time to focus on the case, I do, I do think there were shortcomings on the part of the defense, but I actually think on reflection, uh, those are not as serious as the Brady violations by the prosecution. Um, so there was definitely evidence withheld, um, you know, throughout the investigation, uh, evidence withheld from the um, defense team. Um, one of the most serious things were, you know, uh, the CDs, the computer that Bobby Dassey um, was using. He was the primary user of it. And the whole focus, I think, on Bobby Dassey uh, was was completely inadequate by the prosecution. Um, I think that, you know, the evidence was planted. It was planted by um, the killer, whom we've alleged was Bobby Dassey. Um, and then I think the police also contributed to that. There's no question the swabs with the alleged DNA from the hood latch were planted by the police. I think that's been laid out very clearly in our briefs. They simply substituted the swabs that they'd illegally taken from Stephen Avery at the hospital, claiming that those were swabs taken from the hood latch. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a complex case, but if you reduce it down to its just, you know, most simplistic explanation, you have um, the murderer, the killer, becoming the key witness for the prosecution. You have the killer planning much of the forensic evidence you have the police assisting in the planting of evidence because they were so convinced that Stephen Avery had committed the murder. And then you have a prosecution that was exclusively focused on, on getting the conviction of Stephen Avery and coercing a confession from his nephew. Um, so it's, it, it almost has everything that you see in a lot of the individual cases. It, it combines all of those things. It's a microcosm of everything. It's wrong uh, with wrongful convictions. So, an awful lot to unpack there. The CDs that Kathleen references in that clip, it relates to her CD-ROM from the Dassey family computer that was withheld from Avery's original defence team that supports the argument that Bobby Dassey, the older brother to Brendan, of course, another nephew of Stephen Avery, lied in court. Now, the CD-ROM, it contains data which, it's fair to say, has an awful lot of explicit content on there. I'm not going to go into that on today's show, but it's very, uh, very clear that very heinous things were found on that CD-ROM. Now, during the trial, Bobby Dassey, you heard it there from Kathleen, she was one of the prosecution star witness. Uh, she had said that he had seen Holbach arrive, take photos of Scott Taddix, his uh, stepfather's van, and walk towards Stephen Avery's house. Now, that's all very important. Now, we fast forward a little bit, because in doing my research before speaking to Kathleen, a new witness has actually come forward 
this year. Back in May, a tow truck driver by the name of Thomas Beresh, he claimed to have seen Bobby Dassey driving Teresa's RAV4 vehicle, the vehicle with which was found on the Stephen Avery property, that was found of Stephen Avery's blood and other incriminating evidence. This individual, this witness, claims to have seen Bobby Dassey driving said RAV4 in the days after her death, merely confirming another sighting of even greater significance to Kathleen. Thomas Burrish came forward as a corroborating witness. The stronger um, witness, or the one that we filed the motion um, about in January of 2023, was the newspaper delivery man who was in his um, early 20s and he regularly came on the Avery property in the early morning hours to deliver their newspaper and on the morning uh, that we described in his affidavit he's on the property um, and it's before Teresa's car is found on the Avery property and he sees Bobby Dassey and an unidentified male pushing the car with the headlights turned off onto the property and he gets a really good look at them with his headlights shining on bobby describes you know that he doesn't he's shirtless and they're pushing the car drives down around them deposits the newspaper in the mailbox turns back around and as he approaches the car again bobby dassey steps in front of his car trying to stop him and he swerves around him so we've got a witness with no motive to lie, um, who did try to come forward, uh, came forward and called the police immediately. We've got a snippet of that recording claiming um, that, you know, he identified Bobby Dassey with Teresa's Hallbox car. The reason that is so important is almost all of the forensic evidence that was planted is in that car. Electronic devices, her key, um, everything is in that car, even the blood drops of Stephen Avery. And so that car, um, I think the possession of that car by Bobby Dassey shows, demonstrates that he is absolutely connected to the murder and is the perpetrator of the murder. He had an incentive to plant the car back on the property and it's discovered, you know, on Saturday morning uh, before noon on the Avery, uh, on the Avery salary chart. So it's a huge, huge witness. And then Thomas Burrish came forward and said, well, a couple hours before that, I saw him with the car. I saw him, um, you know, on, uh, by Cuss Road. Um, so both those witnesses have absolutely no motive to be fabricating anything. But like a lot of these cases, witnesses have seen something they don't realize how important it is and there'll be a significant time lapse before they come forward. Um, but certainly with the first witness, Thomas Sawinski, he came forward and called the police immediately as soon as he realized the significance of the car. And that tip of his was just completely ignored. The police told them that they had already caught the person who committed the murder. Crucially, Thomas Sawinski actually contacted police two days later. Two days after that, so this was early on in the investigation, he was told, nope, don't need you, we've already caught the culprit. 
Stephen Avery, despite the fact Thomas Zielinski could actually ID Bobby Dassey in possession of that RAV4. You heard there Kathleen mention that both witnesses, Thomas Zielinski and Thomas Buresh, had spotted another male with Bobby Dassey. Does she have a working theory as to who that was? Well, we've... Um we have not confirmed it. We have um, a person in mind um, that we've interviewed. Um, he has not been totally cooperative, but he does fit the physical description. And, you know, we're hoping that he will change his mind and decide to cooperate. Um, but, but even without his cooperation, um, you know, we've got two independent witnesses identifying Bobby Dassey. I will ask you this bluntly, Kathleen, of course you do not have to answer this, but is that second individual Scott Taddish by any chance? No. That's not who's been, that's not our working theory. Interesting. uh, He, Mr. Taddish does not fit the physical description of that individual. Now you might be asking who the heck is Scott Taddish in all of this. (laughs) I really am. Scott Taddish was the stepfather of both Brendan and Bobby Dassey. Now in the first series actually uh, married to Stephen's sister Barbara, uh, who of course is the mother of both Brendan and uh, Bobby. His testimony in season one I remember a lot of alarm bells, there was a lot of inconsistency there. Dean Strang himself actually admitted to us that Scott was definitely of someone of interest in this case. Uh, We'll hear more from Kathleen, I will paraphrase, she said whilst he did not fit the description of the second person, Scott Taddish has not been ruled out as having an involvement in the murder of Teresa Hallback, according to her working theory. Sono said something rather interesting at the top of the show, you know, making a murderer 2015, the sequel making a murderer season two in 2018, it's, it's titillation, it's, it's TV viewing, you sit on your sofa and you're entertained, but the thing I have to always remind myself in all of this, these are real life actors. This actually happened. Teresa Holback is you know, not with us. She was brutally murdered. Stephen Avery is in prison for that crime. And we're trying to unpack this because a lot of people believe that Stephen Avery is innocent of said crime. He was innocent for the crime that he was sent down for 18 years. DNA would eventually prove that he was indeed innocent. He was released. And an awful lot of people you know, Kathleen Zellner included feels that he was innocent of this crime. It was a case of, it was a stitch-up job 101 in all of this. Now, we've already heard on this very show, she has put forth her belief that it's Bobby Dassey, the nephew of Stephen Avery, the brother of Brendan Dassey, who, of course, is another man who is in prison for this crime, a life sentence without the possibility of parole. She believes it's Bobby Dassey who committed the crime. And, well, she told me that her and her team, they've actually interviewed Bobby, Of course, they're not the police. He was not under caution. It was merely a conversation. So I asked her, what was her takeaway from those interactions? Let me put it this way. He was not able to convince us that he was not involved. Right then, very short, succinct. I had to get to the why, because this is a serious allegation. Stephen Avery is in prison for this crime, as is his nephew, Brendan Dassey. Kathleen Zellner alleges that it's actually Bobby Dassey who has committed this crime. The why. Why then did Bobby kill Teresa, as Kathleen alleges? We know from Stephen's statements and affidavits that Bobby was very interested in Teresa. He was always watching her when she came on the property. He was always talking about her after she left. It could have been as simple as he follows her when she leaves, gets her to pull over. She thinks he wants to talk about a photograph or something makes a pass at her, she resists, he injures her. He then believes he's got a killer because she's injured. 
So he ends up killing her. And then he's got to dispose of it. And then he ends up having to frame Stephen for it. It's not really that complicated. And there's much more data that people in his age bracket commit murders, young males. Um, there's a definite link between violent porn and violent crimes. I mean, that's we have a huge long affidavit from a nationally renowned expert on that. So it's most murders, the motivation isn't that complicated. I mean, something I'm assuming went dreadfully wrong that he didn't set out to kill her, maybe sent out, set out to rape her, maybe he hoped it would be consensual, it led to a struggle, he injured her, we know she was injured and put in the back of the car. We believe she was probably still alive and then he had to kill her in his mind or she would identify him and he'd go to prison. So it's fair to say that is a lot of conjecture. That is one woman, despite the fact that Kathleen is very skilled and highly qualified in her job. That's just one woman's hypothesis as to what happened. I wanted to get kind of away from the conjecture and to find out kind of where we're up to from a legal standpoint. Where is the case right now? And where is Stephen's bid for freedom? Well, I believe that we've, you know, we filed an enormous amount of documentation on this case, both from scientific experts and from these new witnesses. Um, I believe if there is, if we can get a new trial granted, I do not believe Stephen Avery will be convicted. And I do believe the court will allow us to interject um, our theory of, about Bobby Dassey into the trial, and that will create reasonable doubt. So the question is, at this point, will the current judge um, allow us um, to have an evidentiary hearing? And then based on that, will she grant a new trial? So we're in a different position than Brendan Dassey because that that case ran its course to the really end of the road, except for clemency. With Stephen Avery, He has many, many more opportunities. We are still in the state court system. We haven't even moved over to federal court. Brendan Dassey did that years ago and went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Stephen has all the time in the world to have this thing eventually won. And I I know one of the features of doing wrongful conviction work is persistence. And the attorney has to be unbelievably persistent and resilient because these cases take usually a significant period of time to overturn. But the attorney can never give up because the courts will eventually, with a mountain of evidence, and we've already put forward a mountain of evidence, all of which we'll be able to use in a new trial. So all of the expert testimony that we put in the affidavits will eventually all be used to get the acquittal of Stephen Avery. Now we've really got something, though, with new evidence and these new witnesses saying they saw Bobby Dassey, the key witness, the star witness for the prosecution, the witness that Ken Kratz said, you know, we couldn't have won this without Bobby Dassey's testimony. We have now got two witnesses not only refuting what he said, but they're actually pinning the murder and cover-up on him. So there's been, you know, a seismic change in in where this case stands from where it was back when, when I started this in 2016.
2016. So this is all, I mean, as I was saying, one of the flaws in the system is we don't have separate courts for wrongful convictions and judges that are really working with these cases every day. Most judges never have one of these, and if they do, they know nothing about them. And so because the system is flawed in that way, it's just a long struggle. Um, but I still, I still believe that we are going to, we are going to prevail. Now, Kathleen then outlined uh, eight instances where she believes evidence was planted, a combination of Bobby himself, the police. They're not innocent in all of this. She feels that they had an opportunity to snare Stephen, that Stephen wasn't a popular figure in the community. Of course, he certainly wasn't popular higher up the food chain, given the fact that he was taking Monotoc County to court to a sum of $37 million in damages for spending that 18 years incarcerated for a crime that he absolutely did not convince uh, con- because of course DNA proved him innocent she says in her words they've done a bang up job in framing Stephen she also mentioned there about Brendan Dassey now Stephen's nephew he had exhausted all avenues in his bid to win freedom okay so he is done he's gone through his processes and he is as things stand he's done he's got nowhere else to go does she believe though that like Stephen he could still one day be a free man absolutely because Brendan Dassey if new evidence is developed for Stephen Avery that shows that someone else committed the murder, not Brendan Dassey, um, absolutely that is evidence that his legal team can refile a new post-conviction based on new evidence. So yes, he still, um, he still has hope uh, that that will happen. And we think we've developed that evidence. We have... Bobby Dassey in possession of Teresa Halbach's vehicle, uh, the vehicle that, you know, she was in uh, when she died, um, or certainly when she was injured and then died. We have him in possession of it, planting it on, on the Avery salvage yard. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And the forensic evidence that was planted except for the swabs, the forensic evidence that was planted against Stephen Avery was all contained in that vehicle. When the appellate court reviewed all the issues on the experts and all of that, the one thing that they focused in on was this new witness who saw Bobby Dassey in possession of the car. And the court at the end of the opinion stated that that could proved to be very viable and would open up these other issues and that our choice was to file a new post-conviction motion, which is exactly what we did. So we did that at the instruction, really suggestion, I'll put it that way, suggestion of the appellate court. The appellate court recognized the significance of the testimony of Thomas Sawinski, that it would change everything. It is a game changer. You heard it there, it's a game changer. So she has been given, uh, I guess, some momentum. She's been given some heart by the fact the appellate court said they, they took notice of these new witnesses that have come forward. And it, we now kind of start to wrap up a little bit because I had to ask, you know, I've built a rapport at this point with Kathleen. I'm on the phone to her 45 minutes and I wanted to start getting a little bit more personal. And I did ask, I said, Kathleen, have you ever hand on heart, wavered in your belief that Stephen is innocent of this crime that he's been convicted of? 
the reason I've never wavered is because Stephen Avery has agreed to every single test we've ever requested, um, including things that could have implicated him in the crime. So his willingness to do every single thing, every single forensic test, every single, you know, whether he took a lie detector, anything he has been willing to do, that is not the way that a guilty person um, interacts with their lawyer. Um, it's, it's always the test for us. Um, is somebody willing to do those things that could ultimately prove that they're guilty? He's been willing to do everything. And nothing we have done, not a single test, has ever indicated to us that he's done anything other than tell the truth. So... I would just conclude by saying, if I had to bet my life on Stephen Avery being innocent, I would do so. There is absolutely no way he committed this crime. Now, the deck was stacked against him because so much evidence was planted, so much evidence was suppressed, and you know, I don't think the case should have been tried in Manitowoc. I think the defense could have had a lot more expert testimony than they had. All those things being said, um, there is no way Stephen Avery committed this murder. No way. I have not had a single client in my history from 2000, or I guess it was 1994. I've not had a single client that we proved innocent that there's ever been subsequent evidence on that they actually committed the crime. No one. Zero. It kind of led me to ask the question, you know, Stephen Avery has been right now in prison for 34 years of his 60 years. 18 years between 1985 and 2003 for a crime that he did not commit. DNA evidence proved that. And now 16 years for this crime that he maintains his innocence. And, you know, I, I posed the question to Kathleen whether making a murderer, rather than be a help to Stephen, if it had actually been a hindrance. I mean, are we really, is the US judicial system really going to look inward and really exonerate a man for the second time and all of the publicity that comes with that? I put that question to Kathleen. I believe that the making, making a murderer actually assisted Stephen in what appeared to be an unwinnable case. I think as things were proceeding, he couldn't find legal counsel, much less do, you know, all of this legal testing. And we have world-renowned experts um, that have done all of this testing that would be used in the second trial. Um, that would never have happened if making a murder hadn't been made. And if you just do uh, a search on articles on making a murder and its use in law schools and I think it, it, it was groundbreaking in convincing the public, regardless of what the courts did. All it did was convince the public that the courts are very biased, but it definitely was an eye-opener for the public that people are wrongfully convicted. So as painful as you know, it's been to see Wisconsin, rather than truly legitimately investigating this, um, it's revealed a lot of flaws within the Wisconsin, I think, legal system of people trying to protect themselves. But on balance, I think it will ultimately lead to Stephen's acquittal. 
I think without it, his case just would have been lying there dormant. He couldn't get attorneys to represent him. Um, so it's painful, um, and they definitely push back. But I, I, I think on balance, it's been a very positive thing. And certainly it's raised the consciousness and awareness of a worldwide audience. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous reaction, even though the result is not yet what we want. Um, the journey has been worth it. Right, the journey's been worth it, she says. Ultimately, the journey only does become worth it if Stephen becomes a free man. So it's the million-dollar question to Kathleen. Truly, hand on heart yet again, does she wholeheartedly believe that one day, soon, medium to long term, Stephen Avery will be a free man yet again? Yes, I absolutely believe he will be free, and I believe that Brendan will be too. I do not think that, um, you know, the door can be, I don't think the door can be closed on this. I mean, I think it's been laid bare, you know, for the world to see. So I absolutely do believe that both of them will be free. Um, I still believe in the American justice system. I still believe there's avenues, um, you know, to, to proceed with, which we're doing, um, and yeah, I, I absolutely, we would never give up on this. Never have with any other case we've taken, never would with this one. So there you have it then, Kathleen steadfast in her belief that Stephen will walk free one day in the future. Now, I pointed out to Kathleen that many individuals that I've spoken to, including David Rudolph. Many of you may recall that David was one of the stars of The Staircase, that popular docu-series following the story of Michael Peterson. And he is one of many who have advocated for the prosecution of prosecutors themselves if they are found to have done wrongdoing in building a case against a suspect. As for Kathleen, well, she doesn't hold back. Absolutely. And that the lack of punishment of prosecutors, their quote-unquote absolute immunity, is one of the biggest flaws in the U.S. legal system. It is a, <clears throat> it's a doctrine that never, ever should have been allowed to exist. Um, you know, supposedly that was to head off frivolous lawsuits against them. If prosecutors have concealed evidence and altered documents and fabricated witness reports and, you know, helped suppress evidence, they absolutely should be prosecuted. And many, many of the wrongful convictions in the United States, if you go on the, the wrongful conviction uh, national registry of exonerations from the University of Michigan, many of those are tied to prosecutorial misconduct. So they are, you know, they are supposedly the safety net between, you know, the police investigation, which can be horribly flawed, and actually bringing the charges and prosecuting. And a very high number of these cases are just replete with prosecutorial misconduct. That doctrine of absolute immunity should absolutely be thrown out. And I think qualified immunity for the police should be too. They should stand in the same position all the rest of us do if we're sued in our legal or, or in our professions, doctors, lawyers. You know, they should not be cloaked with this immunity. It has led 
to many, many of these wrongful convictions. Now, the prosecutor in the Stephen Avery case back in 2007 was a man by the name of Ken Kratz. He is not without his detractors. And I had to put the question to Kathleen, with the evidence laid out in front of her, is the Stephen Avery case top of the tree when it comes to prosecution malpractice? I would say it's right at, yeah, it's, it's very close to the top. I mean, we've got some other rivals for it. But I think it's very close to the top. And I think the ethical violations, which we laid out in our first petition in 2017 from a leading uh, legal ethicist in the U.S., a professor of Mr. Kratz, or just, I mean, you could, you know, have an encyclopedia on all the different violations from giving that press conference on Brendan Dassey's confession uh, to you know, withholding the evidence that Dean Strang uh, and Jerry Buting have identified in all of the filings that they were never given access to. You know, he completely um, misled them and kept them from being able to claim Bobby Dassey as a third-party suspect. He actively worked at that. And then he, he put Bobby Dassey on the pedestal of the star witness for the state. I mean, it's a disgrace. So you've got the person most linked to the murder is the one that he's leading the charge with. So um, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find other prosecutors in the United States that would condone um, Mr. Kratz's, you know, activities and handling of, of the Stephen Avery prosecution and the Brendan Dassey. The voice there of Kathleen Zellner, the lawyer for Stephen Avery, whose fight for justice continues after 16 years in prison for the conviction of the murder of Teresa Holbach, a conviction that he maintains is wrong and unjust. You can follow Kathleen Zellner on Twitter. Well worth doing that. She updates uh, quite regularly on the updates on the Stephen Avery case. You can do that at Zellner Law. Well worth doing that and I can't help uh, but thank Kathleen Zellner once again for her time. A big shout out to her PA as well, Scott, who helped facilitate that interview. Kathleen Zellner, lawyer of Stephen Avery, watch this space on his continued fight for justice. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 